Welcome back to another Yak Podcast. Uh, this week we're talking about how to study the Bible. So as we dive into this year, uh, we want to set a base for students as they dive into the scriptures on their own. I hope you enjoy. So R.C. Sproul, he's a pastor down in Florida. He's like a super popular theologian. He tells a great story about a young lady in his beginner's book on how to read the Bible called Knowing Scripture. Knowing Scripture. It's about an instance of lucky dipping. Lucky dipping. Which is one way people read the Bible. For those of you who don't know about what lucky dipping is, and for those that have an idea, let's listen to this story to find out. This is what he says. I remember one Christian woman who came to me in a state of ecstasy in her senior year of college. She was experiencing the throes of senior panic as she was nearing graduation with no prospect of marriage. She had been praying diligently for a husband and finally resorted to lucky dipping for an answer from God. Lucky dipping is when you raise your pointer finger high in the air. With your left, you hold the Bible aloft and drop it on a surface. Say a desk, maybe a hood of a car, something high. Suddenly flip to a random page and point at, and then hear a random word from the Lord. So in the midst of her throes and fears about her future prospects looking dim, this is the line that her lucky dipping finger landed on. Zechariah 9.9 Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, a foal of a donkey. With this direct word from God, the young woman was sure she was headed for the altar. And that her prince was on his way. Maybe he wasn't coming on a big white horse. But a donkey was close enough. Clearly you know this is probably not a way we should look at scripture. Ironically, this woman met her spouse within two weeks. Which probably didn't help that idea fester in her mind. But while many of us laugh and chuckle, and should chuckle, at the woman's attempt to use the Bible as a magic eight ball or a cosmic vending machine, many of us approach scripture in a similar way. We flap open the word and hope that our pointer finger lands on something we deem useful. Today we're going to, going to do a few things. I've listed them for you real easily. First, we are going to look at, one, false ways we use the text of Scripture. The concepts we bring to that keep us, what concepts do we bring to it that keep us from it? Like a six-year-old chef, we douse ketchup on a $50 steak and wonder why the only thing we taste is tomatoes. What are the worldviews and perspectives that keep us from enjoying Scripture, that keep us from enjoying the stake. Second, we're going to talk about, two, the way we interpret Scripture. I don't have time to break down the 2,000 years of history of different perspectives. If you want that, I would suggest two books. These are two books I think everyone should have on their bookshelf. If your folks don't have it on their bookshelves, I'll be shocked. Uh, These two books are this, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Fee and Stewart, 
how to read the Bible for all it's worth for Fee and Stewart. If you forget that, remember this is on iTunes, you can go back and find it. And the second one is the one I said earlier, Knowing Scripture by R.C. Sproul. Those are two, in my opinion, go-to books on what do I do with the best-selling book on the planet. How do I read it? Okay? The approach we read the Bible with is called the grammatical historical method. That's how we read the Bible, the grammatical historical method. I'm going to break that down for you tonight. Third, we're going to get super practical, super practical. Three, how can you go home tonight and study the Word of God? How can you go home tonight and study the Word of God and not just read it? And most importantly, why should you read the scriptures? We're going to nail that tonight too. Why should we read the scriptures? This leads me to my first point. What is the ketchup that keeps us from the stake? What is the worldview or baggage baggage that we bring as 21st century Christians that we need to be aware of if we're going to truly enjoy the meat of scripture and not get stuck on the bottle of milk, to use a biblical interpretation, with the way that we look at scripture? First is this. This is the first thing that we do. We equate reading with studying. So write this down under false ways that we use the text of scripture. We equate reading with studying. We think this is the same thing. You think that if you read something, that is enough. How to study is a lost art on your generation and my generation because for the most part, you aren't asked to study concepts in your classes. You're taught how to repeat facts. So you think that when you get to a well-known story in the Bible, you think this, I don't need to read it again. I already have. Surely I have gleaned everything that it has to tell me. You and I treat scripture like a music track that we love. And maybe have played on repeat for a season of our lives. But over the course of times, we skip to the next track once we are bored with that song. Instead, we should treat scripture like an instrument. When you are, where you might play the same song over and over again. But if you ask any great musician, there are always exploring and learning more about those songs. Do you play scriptures? Or do you just listen to scripture? Do you see that word picture I'm trying to paint? Just the first one. We create reading with studying. I read my Bible. Second is pragmatism. Big word. Okay, Some of you have been around me long enough. You know what that word is. Second is pragmatism. You are all pragmatists. I am too. I know this because you are all from America. For those of you who don't know what a pragmatist is, it is someone who bases truth on whether something works. If it doesn't fit a need, an immediate need, we rarely take the time and energy to do the work. Further, we bring pragmatism to scripture. We ask, what is this passage for me? While God might not be speaking directly to you in the passage. Third... And this one might hit too close to home, and I apologize. Is this. You're emotionally driven. My son does this all the time. He will ask for a drink of milk, and we will tell him that his cup is in the fridge. He is capable of going to get it. He can open the fridge. The cup is where he can reach it. But then this phrase inevitably proceeds from his mouth. I don't want it. Now, he clearly wants the milk. He just asked for it. 
What he doesn't want is to go get it himself. Because really, he doesn't feel like moving. How many times do we use that as an excuse for the things we want? I would love to get in shape. You should go to the gym today. Nah. Don't feel like it. I really want to get an A in science. You should study tonight. Nah. (laughs) Don't feel like it. I wish I had more friends. Why don't you invite X over from class? Nah. I don't feel like it. Our feelings in our culture override even our wants. We're not even talking about what we don't want. We're talking about what we actually want at our core. Most of you, when asked about having a good relationship with God, would say that is something you want. Mm, But you just don't really want to put in the time. Nah. I don't feel like it. Even worse, we bring our emotions to and out of Scripture when we actually feel like reading it. If we don't feel like we've met God in those five minutes we've spent studying, then he surely wasn't there, right, if I didn't feel it. You might think, if I took that two or more gathered verse more literally, maybe then I would feel God's presence. And now you only do your personal devotions, not personally, but in groups, even if they aren't other Christians. R.C. Sproul says, many of us become sensuous Christians or feeling Christians, living by our feelings rather than through our understanding of the word of God. Sensuous Christians cannot be moved to service, prayer, or study unless they feel like it. Further, emotionally driven Christians don't need to study the word of God because they already know the will of God by their feelings. I say the phrase... That one person, I I say that phrase, so again, Christians don't need to study the word of God because they already know the will of God by their feelings. I say that phrase, and I know that one person pops into your head. That person from school, or that crazy aunt. We all have them around. Now, I am not saying that Christianity is devoid of emotions. What I am saying is that they are not based on. On emotions. R.C. Sproul says, The Christian life is not to be a life bare of bare conjecture or cold rationalism, but one of vibrant passion. Strong feelings of joy, love, and exaltation are called for again and again. But those passionate feelings are a response to what we understand with our minds to be true. So, AJ, if those are the ways we should approach Scripture, how should we approach Scripture? Good question. That moves to the next point. The way we interpret Scripture. We use the grammatical historical method. You can write that down. Therefore, you can Google it later if you really want more information on it. Which is essentially this. Yeah, I'll let you finish writing that out. Grammatical, G-R-A, okay. Um, G-R-A-M-M-A-T-I-C-A-L slash hist, H-I-S-T, O-R, ickle, I-C-A-L. It's like tickle without the T. And the K. And the, whatever. Which is essentially this. It's not at all. 
what is, which is essentially this. This is the grammatical historical method. We ask what those words meant at the time of their writing. And then we ask to whom they were said to. Now, I promise you there is a lot more to this method than that simple sentence. But the finer points can be discovered as you wrestle with the text of Scripture. Here are some helpful tips for this method. Here are some helpful tips for this method. Ask who the audience is. Ask who the audience is. Are they Jews? Are they Gentiles? Are they enslaved? Is this a good time to be a Jew? Is this a bad time to be a Jew? Who is the audience? Who is the audience? Second is what type of literature is this? Is it historical? Poetry? Proverb? Prophetic? Etc.? Many times, this will help us answer the hard questions. Third thing, so who is the audience? What type of literature? Three, what is the context? Context is key and context is king. If you read this sentence, the Cubs slaughtered the Cardinals. It is a very different sentence in a National Geographic than it is in a Sports Illustrated. Context is king. Likewise, scripture can be taken out of context, which can lead to some pretty major heresies. On the final point of the evening, what are some basic ways you can go home, we can go home tonight and practically read the Bible? I ask four questions about the passage I read. Sometimes I don't always get all the answers, but these are the four major questions I start with if I'm doing a Bible study. Okay, These are on your back, because we're actually going to do it during transformation groups tonight. Okay, we're going to talk about it. But here's the four. If you want to flip around, you don't even got to write it down. I did it for you. You're welcome. Okay? One, what does this passage tell me about God? So read the passage like a good SAT prep would tell you. Read the passage. Okay? And then ask the question, what does this passage tell you about God? Go back. Read it again. What does this passage tell me about God? Number two, then you go back and you read the passage again with this question in mind. What does this passage tell me about God's people? What does this question tell me about God's people? And the reason I include this question is because I think it is good to remind ourselves that we live in a corporate faith. This is not a lone rager Christianity that we live in. So we need to realize that most of the yous in the New Testament and the Old Testament are really y'alls. So we need to understand that as we look and study the context of Scripture. So we need to think of it covenantally or, or congregationally as we look at Scripture as well. So what does this passage tell me about God's people? Three, it says a lot about you. Where do I see myself in this passage? If you ever see yourself as Jesus, you are thinking too highly of yourself. If you ever look at the Old Testament and you're like, I would never be those Jews, you're fooling yourself. Where do I see myself in the passage? And number four, this is a good one. What would God have me do? With the wisdom from this passage. Not just the knowledge from this passage. But I say wisdom. Because if you do this over time. And you're actually writing some of this stuff out. You're going to be linking stuff all over the place. Be like man. I read something really similar. In this book of the Bible. And then you go back and you're like. Well I guess the New Testament author. 
quoted Isaiah. I wonder what the, the, the similarity is here. You see it. They're quoting each other all the time. And so this gives you a bigger idea. It gives you wisdom about the subject. And not just knowledge. Not just, well, I just need to do this. It gives you wisdom on how to approach problems as they occur in this life. Okay? Now, I could go through a passage and show you how to do this. But that is what you're going to do tonight in your transformation groups. We are going to go through a passage together and begin to learn how to pull from it. Lastly, I want to talk about the why. Why is it important to be in the Word? Yay, AJ, you've told me all this, like, cool stuff, like the what, the how. But, but why? Like, why, why? Why is it important? Okay? My son asks it all the time to non-why questions. Okay? But we should learn from it. Okay? We should be asking the why, the, the <clears throat> underneath the question. Okay? The beauty of the Bible is that with basic reading skills... Anyone can pull from its message. Depending on your translation, the English isn't difficult. The NIV, for example, is designed for a 7th grade reading level. While the ESV is for a 10th. This isn't master's level journals you are reading. It is very straightforward. And yet all the master's degrees in the world still mine its content. I think of Jacob who wrestled with God all night long so that he would bless him. Likewise, many wise men do the same. They seek the wisdom of God, and they struggle all evening to be rewarded when the sun rises. This means when you don't know. So what does that look like for you? This means when you don't know a word in Scripture, when you don't know a word in Scripture, you look it up. You look it up. It's getting, like, super easy there. Like, I read my Bible on a Kindle. I highlight the word, and the definition immediately comes to me. It's getting stupid easy. Hey, I don't even got to, like, get another book. I just poke. Okay? This means that when you think, what did that say? And you don't get its meaning, you pull out a commentary from your parents' bookshelf and look up the meaning. This means asking questions to those who might have the answers to hard passages. Ask questions. This means memorizing scripture. And when you come to a new scripture that looks familiar, see if it's familiar for a reason. Again, the authors quote each other like crazy, and it's typically on purpose. Fight for the faith of your fathers. Dive into the word. And don't just play with the sandcastles and the shallows. Really dive into this ocean of scripture that is before you. And that brings me back to my initial point. You need to know that if you're going to study the Bible, not just read it, you will need the grace of God to pull yourself out of your laziness. Most of you, instinctively, you're like me, are lazy. Slothful. Like, think about it. Like, we're so lazy as a culture, there is a mint to where it's a strip, and it It sits on your tongue and it dissolves itself. We're too lazy to suck. I'm not going to chew anymore. I'm not going to suck a mint. We're lazy. We're slothful. And we need the grace of God to do that. The fact is, the vast majority of Christians have not read the Bible the whole way through. And if you have, you're in the minority. And if you study it regularly, you're even in a smaller minority. 
You need the grace of God to pull you through the times that it will be a chore. But let me make this clear. You are called to that chore. You are called to that chore. And the more you engage in it, the more it will be a delight to you. Deuteronomy 6. We talked about it earlier this week. Sound familiar? 6 through 9. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign upon your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. Well, how the words of God are to permeate our daily living. Deuteronomy sets the standard for the Jewish man on how to raise his children. Likewise, Paul calls the same to his spiritual son Timothy and 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 16. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. So why then should I study my Bible? That should be the question you should be asking yourself. Why then should I study my Bible? Christian, it is your duty to know God, to seek after him. And he has given you a clear way of doing so. He doesn't ask you to climb the highest mountain in the Himalayas and spend hours in meditation. He doesn't ask you to follow these clues to this location, meet Carmen San Diego, talk to this guy, do what they say, and then find the next clue. He says to study his words to write them on your life, to meditate on them. I hope that we help each other do that this year. Thanks for listening to another Yak podcast. If you want more information on Yak, you can visit us at cccfrisco.org. Join us next week as we begin our new series on the book of Jonah. Thanks for tuning in.